Brokenness is a place where God stops us, where God halts us. It's where he takes us to a place where we see if we don't stop what we're doing, if we don't stop the sin that we are in, that the sin is unconfessed, if we don't stop that, God will show us where we're going to end up, what kind of damage we we can do. God crushes us under the weight of our own sin for a reason. Our sin plagues us. It haunts us. And that's why we can go to a a great and mighty God, a forgiving God. We can ask him to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, as 1 John 1, 9 says. We can do that. Well, today we're going to be in Psalm 51. And this is David's psalm. Uh, A little background to that is David, who we know his relationship with Bathsheba, his sin against Bathsheba, and then conspiring to murder her husband, Uriah the Hittite. I'm just going to give a little background on that and, and uh, read through that in 2 Samuel verse 11, or chapter 11, a little bit of verse, uh, chapter 12. Chapter 11 of 2 Samuel verse 1, Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. David was a warrior king. And it was in the spring, as it says in verse 1, that he go, he, uh, usually kings go out to battle. And yet he stayed at Jerusalem. In verse 2 it says, Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Yeah, so David just happened to be on the roof. He just happened to be in position to see this woman bathing, to see this beautiful woman bathing. He just happened to be there at that time. You could almost say it was premeditated. You've heard that that word before. He just happened to be there. We just happened to get on that website, men. I dealt with pornography. I just happened to go to that website that was a decent website, but it had a link or an advertisement on the side that takes you somewhere else, down a road that you don't want to go to. It just happens to happen that way. And so David is here, and he just happens to be on the roof of the house. And he happens to see this woman bathing, and so his mind gets going, and he conspires, and he does this thing. He lays with Bathsheba. And then he conspires to have her husband killed. He sends them into battle, and he tells the soldiers to draw back away from Uriah, and Uriah is murdered. And so he continues to try and cover this up. And then the Lord sends Nathan to David to rebuke him. And in chapter 12 it says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. 
Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and had no compassion. In verse 7, Nathan then said to David, You are the man. You are the man that has done this. So David is brought to a point where he writes Psalm 51. One of the greatest psalms ever written about repentance, penitence. There's like seven penitential, if that's the right word, psalms that have been written. And so we go to Psalm 51 and we see David surrendering to God confessing his sins, asking God for forgiveness. So I read Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me against you. You only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor do good to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. David comes to God with his sin. And he comes to God because he knows the character of God here. That God is a God of steadfast love. That he's a God of loving kindness. That his compassion is great. And he says to God, blot out my transgressions. Wipe them away. Blot out is the same Hebrew verb used in Genesis 7 when God destroyed every living thing in the great flood. God wanted to destroy, wipe away everything and start over. And David pleads with God, please wipe away my sin. Blot out this transgression. And David desires to have the slate wiped clean. David also says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. This is another Hebrew verb that is a reference to scrubbing clothes over a washboard, plunging them into the soapy water back and forth and scrubbing them. And he says, God, make me clean. Scrub me clean. He goes to God because God is the only one that can do that. 
He's the only one that can cleanse you in a way that you are, so that you are appropriate for use, for his use. We're familiar with 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And David understands that his sin, because he has gone to God, he wants his sin wiped away. He has understood that sin will scar you. It will stain you. Now, I work in sports medicine. Uh, I'm an athletic trainer for uh, the school, for Scotts Bluff. We do a lot of rehab. We, we also uh, see patients that have total knees, older people, mostly. Okay? And if you don't do the right rehab at the right time, scar tissue develops in joints. And scar tissue is binding. It, is, it limits motion. It, it uh, restricts freedom. It ties, it ties that joint down so that it can't bend or straighten like it, it should. So if you don't intervene your, your uh, injury with the right rehab, you're going to be limited. And David is saying that that is what sin does, that it scars us and that it stains us. And we need to go to the only person, only one, that can cleanse us from that, that can wash us from it, that can blot it out. David pleads for forgiveness in this. That's the first point. Secondly, David goes to God with a proffer of confession or to go to God to confess his sins. Verse 3, he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He knows his sins. He's getting real with God. That's something we've always preached from the pulpit here is to be real with God. We've been real. We've asked you to be real. The only way that God can deal with us is when we're real with each other and honest. David has an intimate knowledge of his sin. It is before him. It is right there in front of him, and he can't ignore it anymore. He wrote this psalm about a year after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, and it's ever before him. It is haunting him. Martin Luther says that David is really saying here that his sin, it plagues me. It gives me no rest. It gives me no peace. Yeah, we put off a good front. We act like everything's going well. And yet, we can't go to bed with peace in our hearts because we know that we haven't confessed sin before God. And so David's sin is plaguing him. It is haunting him. It's before him. It's ever before him. He needs to take care of it. David can't forget the sin. He has to deal with it. And sin creates memories that stay with us. Yeah, we know that God says that as far as the east from the west, he will remember our sins no more, but that's not how he has created us. We remember those things. I remember when I was in junior high, I, I uh, kind of felt sorry for this kid. He wanted to have a, a sleepover. You know, guys, junior high kids get together and have sleepovers or whatever. And, and uh, I wanted to be a friend because he didn't have much friends, many friends. And so I went with him. And as we stepped into the house, his dad had subscriptions to pornographic literature, pornographic magazines. I had never been exposed to that. 
and I had prayed, I, when I was dealing with pornography in my life, I had prayed, God, take that memory away from me. If I could just go back, you have the power to take that memory away so that I can, I can never remember that I was exposed to that. And he, that kid did things in front of me with the pornographic literature that I, I don't want to even talk about, but it's like, wow, I tried to be a friend of this kid, and look what I've been exposed to. So we remember sin. Now, some of you may have walked in, and I know some of you called me Superman because I was wearing a Superman T-shirt. But every time I put on this T-shirt, the S doesn't stand for, for Superman. I don't know if you've ever, uh, if you're movie buffs or not, but in the Man of Steel movie, Lois Lane and Superman are going to be interrogated. So they're in that room, and Lois Lane kind of looks at his uh, uniform, the big S on Superman's chest. He sa- she says, well, what does the S stand for? And Superman says, well, in my world, it doesn't, it's not an S. It stands for hope. And that really rang true, rang with me because what is our life as believers? Why, what is our hope? Our hope is that, is the cross of what Christ did as he went to the cross. He died on the cross. He, he physically died. It wasn't just some aura or some coma that he was in for three days and then he jumped up and somehow moved that heavy rock away. He physically died and then was raised to new life. And that is our hope. It is not a hope uh, where we, we hope that happened. It's a hope because we know that it happened and that's something we look forward to and spend an eternity with Christ in heaven. Amen? So we look forward to that. But every time I put on this shirt, this S stands for a whole lot of other things. There's no such thing as a Superman. Because the word of God says that there is no one righteous, not even one. This S first starts for uh, stands for sinner. It humbles me. But I am saved by the Savior, Jesus Christ. And I don't need any earthly religious counsel to declare me a saint 20 years after I pass away. Scripture says that I am a saint. If you've given your life over to Christ... I know you don't feel like it, but our life is not supposed to be about feelings and emotions. We're supposed to function on the the truth of the word of God. But you are a saint, believe it or not, because scripture says you are a saint. And someday I'm going to stand. We're all going to stand before our Savior, and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Is that something to look forward to? I I think I'm going to see people... Not in their heads, yeah. Okay. So this isn't a Superman. It always is a good reminder that I'm a sinner, saved by Jesus Christ. I am declared a saint, and I will hear someday that, well done, good and faithful servant. There's three reasons why it's a good thing for us to remember our sin. Number one, if you could forget your sin, you could never testify of the goodness of God in your life. We don't remember our sin uh, to dwell on it. We remember our sin so that we can turn to the one who forgives us of that sin. It reminds me of the goodness of God in my life. I don't deserve a wife and the two kids that I have. I don't deserve to breathe another day. Of everything that I did the day before, whether it's in word or thought or deed, I don't deserve, God doesn't, 
have to give me another breath to wake up today. But he did. And that is God's grace and mercy. So if you could forget your sin, you could never testify of the goodness of God in your life. Every time I go to Lincoln, I went to school in Lincoln. I spent my first two years drinking and I was a drunk and everything else that comes with the party life. Superficial party friends and relationships with, the, with women. And I drive past a lot of one-way streets. Even being sober, I have to pay attention to the one-way streets. But try driving in Lincoln one-way streets when you're drunk. There was one time I was driving the wrong way down a one-way street, and there was a cop coming towards me. I turned off real quick, shut off my lights. I mean, I parked and shut off my lights and ducked down in my seat, and the cop drove by. I think God was kind of looking over me at that time, watching out. But crazy things like that. So I remember those things. I remember my transgressions, not to dwell on them, but to praise my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Number two, if we couldn't remember our sin, we wouldn't be warned against doing them again. Could you imagine if you couldn't feel fire and every time you touched a burner or warming your hands over the fireplace or anything like that? As one pastor said, we'd be crispy critters, right? Now I'm a white guy, so I think of myself as like, I would be like a marshmallow, crispy on the outside, gooey on the inside, you know. If you walk around going, why, geez, uh, why is my hands all crispy? But there's fire there to let you know that it hurts, so you're warned against doing them again. Number three, if we couldn't remember our sin, we couldn't rejoice in our victories. How many times do we rejoice in the victories that God has given us because of the victories over our sin? When you come broken before God and confess sin, it becomes a catalyst to being freed from its weight on you. I know I experienced this as a child. When you tell one lie, you have to keep on telling another one to cover up the last one. Well, yeah, your sin finds you out, doesn't it? So we need to come broken before God. Brokenness is an appropriate response to a holy God, and sin is an affront to a holy God. David realized what every believer seeking forgiveness must believe, that even though he had tragically wronged Bathsheba and Uriah, the Hittite, his ultimate crime was against God and his holy law. David couldn't blame anybody else. I've been there, done that, where I've tried to blame somebody else for my problems. It doesn't get taken care of until I finally come to the point where I have to say, you know what, it is my fault. It is my sin. I can't blame anybody else. But David says here, against you, you only, God, have I sinned. He didn't say against you, Bathsheba, I have sinned, or against Uriah, I have sinned. Ultimately, it is God and God alone that he has sinned and that we have sinned against because God is the only one that can truly Forgive and wipe away and blot out that sin and wipe our slate clean. God is a holy God. You don't have to, but if you want to turn with me to Revelations 19, I want to read about my holy God. My God, God is a God of love, and that's almost 
what everybody wants to hear is that God is a God of love. But God is just and fair. He's also a God of wrath. But in Revelations 19, verse 11 through 16, this is God. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe, on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's my Jesus, right? Amen. That is our God that will come, that has victory. We don't have to worry about things because Jesus has the victory. I don't know why Satan keeps on trying. He knows he's defeated. Jesus is going to have the victory. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Giles said, do me a favor for a month or however long he said, read Romans 8 and Ephesians 1 to remind ourselves that there is no condemnation in Christ. And in Ephesians 1, to remind ourselves of the blessings of the inheritance that we have in Christ, to know the power of God in our lives. That's the reason why he wanted you to read that. Because <laughs> we need to know where we stand with Christ. We need to know we need to believe what Christ says about us, that we are his children, that he protects us, that he watches over us, that he desires to bless us. He desires that we honor him in all that we do because God will honor us. Thirdly, David prays for moral cleanness, and this is seen in Psalm 51. Verses 7 through 12. And David asked God to purify him with hyssop. Hyssop is a kind of a leafy uh, plant that this Old Testament priest would use to sprinkle blood or water on a person being ceremoniously cleansed from defilements such as leprosy or touching a dead body. You couldn't touch a dead body or you'd be defiled. You wouldn't, you'd be unclean. It is here that David's joy and gladness had left him. David was experiencing a personal collapse under the guilt of his sin. When he kept silent about his sin, David felt as if his body was wasting away. And so David asked God to clean his heart because that is what is required to have communion with God. God answered that emphatically in the lasting legacy of David. We all know that David was a man after God's own heart. Even though he had committed these sins, he went to God to ask to be, to be cleansed, to be washed clean, and to be forgiven, and to be renewed. It is nothing short of a miracle as you sit here today that you have been forgiven of your sins. If you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, God has done a miracle in your life. He has cleansed you of your sin. Unconfessed sin will cause a slow fade. 
if we choose to let this go. It will cause a progression of slow decline in a heart harboring sin. And so David deeply wants an unhindered communion with God. And that not that what we all want? We want an unhindered communion with God. When sin enters our heart, what happens? Our communion with God is, is hindered. We need to go God, to God and seek him, seek his face and ask for forgiveness and be cleansed of our unrighteousness. Well, in verse 13 through 17, this is the promise of renewed service. David had said in verse 12, to restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. And he says in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and that sinners will be converted to you. It is here that David expresses his confidence in the Lord that he will answer his request affirmatively. David understands the character of God. That's why it's so important that we get into the word so that we can understand who God is, the character of God. Because I find out as I read his word and I get into it that his grace is even greater. His mercy is even greater. His forgiveness, he has forgiven much in my life. Right? We can't just skim the top. I think of the illustration of a fly fisherman. I'm, I was a fly fisherman and kind of let that go a little bit. But fly fishing, if you've ever watched the rivers runs through it, all that's the glory thing, the dry fly fishing, all that dry fly floating on the top. 90% of a trout's diet is below the surface. And so that's why you have to fish with nymphs and, and larvae and all that stuff and the flies that you use. But it's below the surface. You can't just skim the top of God's word. You have to get in to the, the gold that's there because it gives you peace. It gives you strength. It gives you encouragement. One of the things that I was taught as I read books about fly fishing is that if you want to know what the trout are eating or what's in the river, you need to pick up a rock and turn it over because the bugs, the aquatic bugs, are sticking to those rocks underneath. And you just have to learn what those bugs look like, and then you make a decision on what flies you choose. Well, that's what you have to do with the Word of God. You have to grab the gold that's there. You have to grab the good stuff, the deep things of God, the meat and see what's there because God wants that for you. He has that for you. He wants to give it to you. He wants you to, to have that. It creates in us a life of worship. David understood the effects of sin in our lives. He knew that sin hinders our relationship with God, but it also hinders our relationship with each other in fellowship. And sin hinders our unity with other believers. And that brings me to asking you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And here the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Philippian church and he's addressing a few things. But one of the things that he's commending the Philippian church on is how much they have stood firm in the face of trials. In chapter 1, he tells the Philippian church that he's thankful. He thanks his God and all his remembrance of them, always offering prayer with joy and every prayer for you all. In verse 5, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, 
For I am confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of the gospel of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. When his elders learned of the news of Giles being called to another ministry, I thought of these things. I thought of Paul commending the Philippian church. And I commend you because this church has been about standing firm. It has always been about the message. It's never been about the pastor. It's always been about the message of the cross. It's been about the gospel of grace, the good news of Jesus Christ. And yes, there are people that are that always leave when a pastor leaves. But I am going to plead with you, not that I'm worried that about anything or about losing people, but God has always provided. But I'm going to plead with you to stay with us through this transition, pleading with you to pray as, as us elders are going to be praying, as the other pastors are going to be praying, because God has blessed this church over abundantly. That's what I see. God has blessed this church over abundantly. This church has been a, a church of prayer. I have a partnership class that I teach in the fall, and I go over the history of the, of the Berean Fellowship and, and the history of this church. And there were a few people, and one of those people is here today, Virginia, that uh, was praying about opening up or starting a church in Mitchell, a gospel-preaching church in Mitchell. Well, guess what? At the same time, a group of pastors were traveling through western Nebraska praying about the same thing. And so they started a, a fellowship, a, a Berean church down at, at a building in Mitchell. And it went from there. And then they built the church that's now the madhouse. And now we have this. And prayer has always been our foundation. Prayer said, when we pray, we're saying, God, you're in control. You are the authority. And so I would plead with you to pray as we Ask God for that next lead pastor. God has met our needs in the past. I think of the building fund. We paid that off two and a half years uh, before it was even due. In this type of economy, in this area, is that not a miracle? Right? Okay. As I said, it's always been about the message, and it will always continue to be about the message. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, there's going to be a video that shows, so after I get done praying, go ahead and stay in your seats. It's about a five-minute video, and then you'll be dismissed when the video is over. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the people here at Mitchell Brain, this body of Christ. Thank you that they have stood firm, that they have walked in a way that is worthy of you. And Lord, I pray as we go from here that we would petition you every day, every hour, every minute of the day for your leading 
And Lord, we would know your Holy Spirit leading when we come across looking for a lead, the lead pastor. Lord, you are good and righteous. You are holy. You are a God that is of love and just and fair. And you are a God of wrath. And I thank you for that. I pray as we walk away from here today that you are worshipped and, and praised like you should be. Lord, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for the time we've been in the word. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.